do you know that God is three in one? He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet He's one God. Isn't that great? It's incredible. He's eternal. Do you know that? Did you have, do you have a birthday? Everybody? When's your birthday? Do you know? When you turn five, that'll be your birthday. All right. So God doesn't have a birthday. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's forever. And he sent his son to die. And he'll judge us. So do you agree with all that you know about God? Is that true? Do you know that? Do you agree with it? Give it a thumbs up. And can you trust him? Can you actually trust him? When stuff in your life gets hard, can you actually believe that he is working for your good? Can you trust him? Can you trust him that when you die, he will actually bring you to heaven because Christ died? Can you actually trust him for that? Can you trust anybody else in the world for that? No, only him, right? So you want to put your full trust in God's power because you know God is eternal, God is wise, God is great, God is strong, God is good, God is loving. Now here's the thing. At your age, the way that you'll know that you're trusting God is whether or not you obey your parents. Do you know that? Because if you trust God, you can do what your mom or dad says right away all the way with a happy heart. That's how your trust for God is shown in this world. Uh-oh, we got some getting away to a violin. Eliza, no playing of the violin this morning, please. Miss Mercy will not be happy with you. Can you, Eliza, come over here, sweetie? Yeah, thank you. All right. So we trust God because we know he's great. Can you say we know he's great? Right? You agree with it, and you, and you trust him with all that you are, okay? All right, why don't you head back, and Pastor Jeff's going to tell us more about this. All right. Good. Thanks, Pastor Jeremy. It's a different perspective sitting out there for a children's message than sitting up here. So thanks for doing that. Uh, if you could grab a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we are continuing our series in the, the book of 1 Corinthians. So as you turn there, let, would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for uh, your goodness, your blessing to us. Thank you for the gospel that saves. And Father, this morning we ask that you might open our eyes so that we can see. We ask you would open our minds that we might understand your word. We ask you would open our hearts that we might apply your word appropriately into our lives. And so may you use this time for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're up to chapter 2. So last week we were in chapter 1, and we saw the greatness of God compared to the smallness of man. And we noted that there's no comparison. God is way far beyond any of us. And so no one comes close to matching God's wisdom or his power. And so today as we come to these first five verses of, of chapter 2, uh, that's what we'll be this morning, but we'll be reflecting back on chapter 1, spending some time there as well. And so before we read through these verses, let me give you just a little bit of layout to these first five verses here. Again, previously Paul had gone to the city of Corinth to preach the gospel, and he was there for a year and a half doing just that, preaching the gospel. And so now as we come to chapter 2, he's going to refer back to how he came to them at that time. 
And so the first four verses we'll see here are how he came to them. And then verse 5 will be the why, why he came in that manner. So let's read that. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So here we see Paul says how he came to them. Brief summary, he came in humility, right? And then we see why his purpose in coming to them that way in verse 5, and the so that statement is his purpose. And we'll come back to these verses in a little bit. But what we want to do is spend a little time on this wisdom and power. Wisdom and power. So we're going to take a closer look at that back in chapter 1. And so when we see these words, wisdom and power, we, it's important for us to note the difference between human wisdom and human power compared to godly wisdom and godly power, or wisdom and power from God. So the context helps us with that, but it's important to pay attention to. So look back in chapter 1 at verse 17. We're going to skim through some of these verses here. Verse 17, chapter 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with, eloquent wor- not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So here we see that Paul was sent to preach the gospel. That was his task, right? This is what we're talking about here. And we see how he did it. He did it not with words of eloquent wisdom. In other words, he wasn't using lots of human wisdom when he came to the Corinthians to preach the gospel. He wasn't using, using a bunch of human wisdom. He wasn't using fancy words and fancy speech, right? He came in humility. Uh, he wasn't trying to impress them with the words that he could use. He wasn't trying to use great philosophical arguments of the day to convince people to believe the gospel. That wasn't how he approached them, right? Not in human wisdom. Verse 18. For the word of the cross, that's the gospel, that's the good news that we're talking about here, that the fact that the Son of God came to die for the sin of the world. The word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness. It doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking. It doesn't add up in human wisdom. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, to those who are not saved, to those who don't believe this gospel. So those who don't believe this gospel think this is foolishness, and they think you're a fool for believing it, right? But, continuing verse 18, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This gospel, as foolish as it is according to human wisdom, is the power of God. It's the power of God in our lives. This is not human power. It's not anything else, but it's the power of God unto salvation. In the gospel. This is what Paul is preaching. Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And so, if you take all the wise people of this earth 
and you take all the wisdom and you add it together, all the human wisdom that could be pulled together, it's nothing compared to the wisdom of God. It doesn't have a chance before God. It's nothing. All the modern-day thinkers of our time, the philosophers, the scientists, the educators, the politicians, the psychologists, all of our combined wisdom together totals nothing compared to the wisdom of God. It's foolishness. It doesn't measure up. And yet, some of these people portray themselves to be God or to be above God, right? Claiming to know they have it all figured out. They have all the answers. They have it all together. And God says here, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. God won't just barely outwit the wisdom of the wise. He won't just squeak by in a debate. He will destroy their wisdom. It's nothing compared to him. Verse 20, keep moving through here. Verse 20, where's the one who is wise, that is according to human standards? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So here's God in all of his wisdom. He determined that all the worldly human wisdom added together wouldn't be enough wisdom for man to know God and his plan of salvation. This is God's plan. This is his thought here. So instead, it pleased God. It it, it gave God pleasure that through the preaching of this apparently foolish message of the gospel, that people would be saved from sin and death by simply believing. If they would just believe, they're saved from sin and death. And so God, in his extraordinary wisdom, this was his plan. Human wisdom, you and I, we we aren't wise enough to come up with this. This is beyond us. God has made foolish all of the wisdom of the world. So verse 22, for Jews demand signs. And so what are they looking for here? Jews were looking for a display of power, right? They wanted to see power or they wouldn't believe. That's simply a lack of faith. It's unbelief on the part of the Jews. But Jews seek wisdom, uh, excuse me, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. And so the Greeks, the Gentiles, they wanted to figure God out at this high intellectual level, right? They wanted to to process this. There had to be some logical sense behind the idea of God, and then maybe they would consider believing, right? But they had to figure it out intellectually. And so again, this is unbelief on the part of these Greeks. It's lack of faith. It's not trusting God to be who he says he is. And so Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified, a Savior who was dead and buried and raised again. This is what Paul is preaching. Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. A stumbling block. The Jews didn't see this as the type of power they were looking for. This wasn't the method of powerful display that they were looking for. So it's a stumbling block to them. Christ crucified, stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, the Greeks, and their intellect, they just couldn't make sense of this. 
a Savior, God coming to die. It doesn't make sense. So these are the reaction of these unbelievers here. A Christ crucified was unbelievable to them. Didn't fit what they were thinking. Didn't fit what they were looking for. Verse 24, but, this Christ crucified, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, the wisdom and power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so here we see that Jesus Christ is the power of God, and that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. All that the Jews were looking for and all that the Greeks were looking for was found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the wisdom, all the power of God. The power of salvation is found in Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is far above all powers of this world. He is far above all wisdom of this world. Jesus is wisdom and power of God. And then verses 26 through 31, the end of chapter 1 here, it's a, just a summary, right? Again, that God is great, that man does not compare. God is far wiser. God is far more powerful than man. And therefore, the only boasting that should take place is boasting in the Lord, right? Boasting in the greatness and the glory of God. And so and then in light of all this, as we come to chapter 2, Paul now explains how he conducted himself as he brought the gospel to these Corinthians and why he did it that way. So let's look at this. Let's look at Paul's approach here. Verse 1, here's what he says, And I, Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So as Paul comes to the city of Corinth, he comes to preach the gospel, his preaching, his delivering was rather unimpressive. That's what he's saying. I came to you with a rather unimpressive presentation. He didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom. He didn't have a lot of fancy talk. Right? He didn't come with intriguing intellect that you could just try to figure out and make sense of. He didn't come prof- professing profound wisdom that he knew this great wisdom that, that they couldn't figure out. So he came not in lofty speech or wisdom. So Why? Why didn't Paul come in that way? Verse 5, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so lofty speech here could lead to, to some putting their trust in human wisdom, right? They could put, somebody could put their trust in that message just because of the, this great speech that they hear, this fancy speech, right? The Corinthians didn't need fancy speech. They need the power of God. They need truth being told to them. And that's what we need as well. And so Paul here comes to them in humility in order that Christ would be exalted. Right? How else did he come? Look at verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Paul here decided, he determined, he made a conscious choice in this to know nothing while he was with them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, Paul chose to set aside everything of himself. Right? He set aside all the things of himself. He didn't come with a great performance. 
He didn't come seeking their attention or seeking their applause. He didn't come to draw followers after himself. But he determined, he chose to come to them with only a simple message of Christ crucified. Right? Now Paul, if you think about his background, he could have come with all this fancy fanfare, right? He could have come in that way. He was a trained Jewish rabbi, right? We read from Scripture. So he could have come to the Corinthians and he could have had this well-prepared presentation for them to hear and and to respond to, right? He could have come with fine-sounding arguments for why they should believe this gospel. He could have presented it in such a way that it would be really hard for them to pass up. But he didn't come that way. He set all of that aside. Why? Why did Paul set aside all the formal presentation, all the persuasion that he could have brought? Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of God, but in the power of God. Excuse me, did I say that wrong? So that your faith, let me say that again, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Right? A well-prepared, flashy presentation could cause people to put their faith in, in man, what man has done and what man has said. Paul says, no, I want your faith to rest in the power of God alone. Continuing in verse 3, Paul continues. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So let's wait a second here. Paul, this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. And he comes in weakness. Weakness from the Apostle Paul. Yeah, that's how he approached him. He, he put off all of his own strength. He put off all of his own abilities. He emptied himself of himself. And so he came then in his own weakness and he came in fear and in much trembling. This could be a couple things. One, it could possibly be due to the eternal weight and the eternal significance of this message he was delivering. But maybe more of a a possibility is because he was subjecting himself to the people of Corinth, right? As he came, as he preaches the gospel, these Corinthians might not like what he has to say. Right? That's a real possibility. They might even arrest him. They might even beat him. They might even kill him for what he's presenting to them. That could cause some fear and some trembling, right? So Paul, but Paul sets aside his strengths and abilities, right? And he relies on what? He relies on God, right? He was still faithful to the task. This is Paul's humble surrender to God, even though fear and trembling are part of delivering this message, he submits himself to God. And he still continues with the task. He doesn't let that fear control him. Right? So just on a little side note for you and your life, do you let fear control you? It's okay to have fear. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But do you let it control you? Do you let it take over? Do you let it consume you? So here, Paul, even though there's fear and trembling, he still continues with the task, trusting God in humility. And so why does Paul take this approach? Why does he come in weakness and in fear and in trembling? Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, 
but in the power of God. Right? If Paul came with the demonstration of his own strength and the, his own power and the things that he could do, the things that he could accomplish, if that's how he presented the gospel, people might start trusting in him. People might start following after Paul. That's not what he wanted. Paul didn't want followers after him. Paul wanted people following after Christ, believing in the power of this gospel, putting their faith in Christ alone, for he is the only hope we have. And so Paul puts aside all of himself, comes in weakness and fear and trembling. Verse 4, he continues, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit, and of power. So Paul says here his message, this gospel that he's presenting, the words of his mouth were not given in plausible or superficial words. It was not with persuasion uh, of human wisdom that he was presenting. He wasn't trying to manipulate them into a false confession or a or hand raise or a, a walking of the aisle. He wasn't trying to manipulate them into a response. Right? Now, the Corinthians could have been looking for this, right? They were looking for this wisdom. And again, even though Paul could have approached them in that way, he didn't. That wasn't his method. Why? Why wasn't Paul speaking that way? Again, verse 5, right? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That was his purpose. In verse 4 here, we see uh, these words, a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so the words that Paul used here were spirit-filled, and they were powerful words. They were words of truth. They were words of salvation. They were words of life. And so Paul knew that nothing needed to be added to this gospel message here for the people to respond in faith, right? He didn't have to add to it. He didn't have to, to put more on it. He knew that when people are saved by the simple preaching of the gospel, that's a powerful demonstration of the Holy Spirit at work. Power, power at work, right? And so this gospel here, this gospel message that Paul's bringing isn't of man. It's not founded on man's wisdom. It's not something that man just drew up in his own mind and and thought was a good idea. It's not based on the power of man. It's not based on man's efforts to, to find a way of salvation, to find a way to pay off sin. This is only of God. God brings sinners to his saving faith through the simple preaching of the gospel. Right? So what is Paul doing here? Why is he, what is he doing in these verses? He's pointing us again to Jesus Christ. Right? He's displaying once again the glories and the majesties of God. The power of God is based on the person and work of Jesus Christ alone, not anything of man. Paul wanted nothing of himself. He emptied himself. He wanted nothing of himself. He wanted everything of God as he delivered this gospel to the Corinthians. He wanted none, no one, to believe in his wording or his persuasion or anything that he could do. He wanted everyone to believe in the wisdom and the power of God. That's where true salvation lies. And so this gospel that we preach, it can stand on its own. Right? It can stand on its own. Here's what's happening. You want to know what happens when we try to add to it, when we try to add our own wisdom, our own power? Look back at chapter 1 and verse 17 again. Chapter 1, verse 17. Here's what happens when we try to add 
flair, if you will, to the gospel. Christ has not sent me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So this gospel from God has power. It is the power of God. And yet if we try to add fancy speech and add our own wisdom and add all this stuff to it, it loses its power. It's emptied of that power that it, that it has, right? When you try to fancy up the gospel or tweak it to make it more likable or more, I don't know, more readily to be received, all you do is take, any way, take away any power to, to be saved. You take away the power that's behind it. Right? A faith in a manipulated gospel saves no one. Right? Faith in a manipulated gospel saves no one. It loses power. And so the faithful preaching of the gospel here Sunday morning, you and your lives throughout your week, it's sufficient to save. It's sufficient in itself. If you flip over one book to, to Romans chapter 1, here's what Paul says as he's writing to the Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Paul says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He wrote that our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in full, with full conviction. The gospel is the wisdom and power of God, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so let's make some application for us here. Let's bring some application to us in our lives. The first thing I want to encourage you is believe the gospel. Believe the gospel, right? The Jews demand signs of power. The Greeks seek wisdom. Let me ask, what about you? What do you look for? What do you look to and say, well, if I would only see this, then I would believe. Or if somebody would only convince me of this, then I would choose to believe. What is it for you? Where does your faith rest? Have you experienced this power of God for salvation? Believe the gospel. It's important for us to note here, when the, when the Bible talks about the wisdom and the power of God, there's a few things that it's not talking about. So let's be clear about that. The wisdom and power of God, it does not mean that you need some magical experience to be saved. Right? It doesn't mean that you need some mystical enlightening from somewhere. It doesn't mean that you need to see your name written in the stars in order to believe this gospel. That's not what it means. What it does mean is that in believing this apparently foolish message of Christ crucified and risen, that you are forever changed. You are forever changed. Your sin is forgiven. You have eternal life. You have eternity that awaits. That's the wisdom and the power of God in this simple apparently foolish message. Jesus Christ alone saves. He forgives sin. He gives life. He transforms. The gospel message is powerful because it's all about the all-powerful and all-wise one who came and died 
and rose again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. That's the wisdom and the power of God. So will you believe? Will you believe this simple message of the gospel? Because here's the thing. As we think about human wisdom and human power, you can't do anything to contribute to your own salvation. Right? You can't do it. If God didn't have this wise plan, we'd all be doomed. Right? If there wasn't sufficient power of God, we'd all be destined for hell. No other plan, no other power can save us from sin and death. It's only that which comes from God through Christ. Now, if you've been around Pine Grove for a while, you know that at times, as we're preaching, as we're teaching, we can stumble over our words, right? Sometimes we even lose our train of thought. But here's the thing. We preach Christ crucified for the sin of the world. Jesus Christ dead and buried. Jesus Christ raised to life. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus Christ ruling and reigning as Lord over all creation. That's the powerful, life-changing message we preach. So will you believe this gospel and be saved? So first we need to believe the gospel. Second, we need to live the gospel. We need to live the gospel. If the wisdom and power of God in the gospel is enough to save you, then there's also sufficient wisdom and power to live out your life in Christ. Right? The gospel is the power to overcome that sin you've been committing. The gospel is the wisdom to handle that difficulty you're facing. The gospel is the power to mend that broken relationship. The gospel is the power to endure the suffering you're dealing with. The gospel is the wisdom and power of God that overcomes and brings victory into your life. It is sufficient for all the circumstances of life you face. When you get that bad news from the doctor, when you have a marriage that's struggling, when you lose your job and don't know where the finances are going to come from, when you're overwhelmed with the the tasks and responsibilities at home, the wisdom of God is found in Jesus Christ. The power of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So where does your faith rest in all these life circumstances? Where do you first turn when there's a crisis that arises? Where is your focus and your attention through these difficulties, through all these circumstances of life. Who do you look to first? A doctor, a counselor, a friend, the government's provision? Where do you look to first? Where do you lean? Or do you look first to God who has all wisdom and all power in all circumstances? We must have faith to take God at his word, to believe it, to hold on to it, and to live out those truths in our life. This is what sanctification is all about, right? Growing in Christ, growing to maturity in Christ. It starts with believing the gospel, holding on to the gospel, and growing to maturity in Christ as we live it out. That's sanctification, right? And so we must believe the gospel. 
We must live the gospel. In addition, we must preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And following Paul's example here, we need to see that the gospel must be preached in total submission to God, to his wisdom, to his power, with total reliance on the power of God to save. The success of the gospel does not depend on your skill. It's completely dependent upon God. So God doesn't need you to add frills to this message. He doesn't need you to come up with a fancy presentation to add bells and whistles to to make it more presentable to people. The gospel is sufficient all in itself. But at times we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves in sharing the gospel, can't we? We can put a lot of pressure on ourselves as if it depends on us and how we deliver and what we say instead of it depending on Christ. We're tempted to think it's on us to save others. And so we try to figure out how to say things in in just the right way. We try to smooth talk people into believing the gospel. What we're doing is we're taking on a savior mentality. And we know full well that we can't save. It's really a lack of faith. This is a sin issue. It's a pride issue, right? Thinking that it's all about us and how we present and, and the things that we say. So we take this on, and yet we know we can't save. And so because we know we can't save, and because we have the self-imposed pressure to save, we think it's on us, we put it on us, most of the times, what does that do? It cripples us, doesn't it? It handcuffs, and most of the time, then we end up not sharing the gospel. We fail to speak the name of Jesus Christ. And therefore, what happens? We don't see anybody saved because we think it's on us. We put all the pressure on us and God, because the gospel message loses its power when we do that. And so we struggle to believe that the gospel is in fact the power of God to salvation. Right? So just remember, you're preaching, when you share the gospel, somebody, you're preaching a foolish message. Why would they believe you? It's foolishness. Only the power of God can save. And so if we're honest, we, we also um, don't think that we can do it. We, we don't think that we have. And so that prevents us too from sharing, doesn't it? Because the other side is that I, I can't do this. I don't know what to say, right? So how many of you are unsure of yourself when you're sharing the gospel? Right? How, how many of you, do you fumble over your words when you're trying this, when you're trying to share the gospel? Are you sometimes intimidated by questions that might get asked from people? Right? That's all good stuff. You know, I know why? Because then God can use you if you'll step out in faith and trust him. Because then a faith response isn't dependent on the wisdom of man or your presentation or what you add to it. It's the, the faith response is then based on the power of God. And that's a good thing. So if you fumble, if you stumble, if you're unsure, that's great because then God can use you. Right? So what if we, as people, simply shared the gospel and trusted in God to save? Right? What if we took it that simply? Share the gospel faithfully and trust God to save in his wisdom and his power. And so this really should be a great encouragement to us. This should encourage us to go out and to share the gospel more with friends and neighbors and coworkers and family because it's not on us. The pressure is gone. The pressure is not on us to get results, right? We simply share and trust God. The, the results are up to his so that the faith of others might not rest on the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So let's do that. Let's be people 
who go and share the gospel and actually trust God to do this great saving work. Let's pray as we close here. Pray with me. Father God, I praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are far above any human, that you have much greater wisdom, that you have much greater power. And in fact, Jesus Christ is wisdom of God and is the power of God. And so we lift up the name of Jesus. We praise you and exalt you. God, as we think about the gospel, help us to believe it more and more. Help us to live it more and more. And God, give us a boldness to preach the gospel, to share it with others, not in our own power, not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, but to share it trusting you, that this is your wise plan and that you bring it with power. And so God, would you bring power to save as we walk faithfully with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the charge this morning is simply this, our application Believe the gospel, live the gospel, and preach the gospel. Benediction from Romans chapter 15. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.